we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of his talks, such as freedom, self-knowledge, authority, beauty and meditation. Extracts from our extensive archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant subjects. This week's theme is Consciousness. Upcoming themes are Action, Observation and Emotion. This podcast is brought to you by Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please see our official YouTube channel for hundreds of video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's full talks and shorter extracts. We are a non-profit charity and rely on your support to continue to preserve and make Krishnamurti's work available. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider leaving a review. This week's podcast has four sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk in Sanan, 1981, titled Consciousness is Common to All Mankind. Our consciousness is a very complicated affair. Volumes have been written about it, both in the East and in the West. We are not aware of our own consciousness. And to examine that complicated consciousness, one has to be free to look, to be choicelessly aware of its movement. And that's what we're going to do together. When we use the word together, it is not that I'm the speaker is directing you to look at it in a particular way or to listen to all the movement, inward movement of our consciousness. We are together looking at consciousness, which is not yours or mine, theirs or his. Consciousness is common to all mankind. All mankind, whether they live in the Far East or Near East, West, or in the Far West, that consciousness 
with all its content, is common to all mankind. When you go to India or the Far East, there they suffer inwardly as well as outwardly as here. They are anxious, uncertain, utterly despairingly lonely, as you are here. They have no security, jealous, greedy, envious, suffering. And as in the West it is the same thing. So human consciousness is one whole, not is not your consciousness or mine. It is the consciousness of humanity. Please understand this. It is logical, sane, rational. Because wherever you go, in whatever clime you live, whether you are affluent, or degradingly poor, whether you believe in God or in Christ or some other entity, the belief, the faith is common to all mankind. The picture may vary, the image may be different. The symbol may be totally different from another, but that is common to all mankind. This is not a mere verbal statement. If you take it as a verbal statement, as an idea, as a concept, then you will not see the depth of it, the deep significance involved in this. The significance is that your consciousness is the consciousness of all humanity. Because you suffer you are anxious, you are lonely, insecure, confused, exactly like another who lives ten thousand miles away from you. The realization of it, the feeling of it, the feeling in your guts, if I may use that word. is totally different from mere verbal acceptance of that. When one realises that you are the rest of mankind, 
it brings it, you have a tremendous energy. You have broken through the narrow groove of individuality, the narrow circle of me and you, they and we. And we are going to examine together this very, very complex consciousness of man. Not the European man, not the Asiatic man, or the Middle East man, but this extraordinary movement that has been going on for millions of years as conscious movement in time. Please, Yuan, don't accept what the speaker is saying. And then it'll have no meaning. But if you begin to doubt, you begin to question, have be skeptical to inquire, not hold on to your own particular belief, faith, experience, or the accumulated knowledge that you have been given. All that you have, and reduced it all some kind of pretty little me. If you do that, you will not. If you might, if one may point out very respectfully, you are not facing the tremendous issue that is facing man. So together, I mean together. You not you think one way, I think another. Together, as human beings, confronted with this tremendous danger of existence of whole of humanity, because the atom bomb. The wars, whether it is in the Middle East or somewhere else, the terror that is spreading all over the world, the kidnapping, the killing, the brutality of it all. We as human beings are responsible for all this. So we have to examine very closely and carefully the state of consciousness. We understand the meaning of that word, to be conscious, to be aware, to recognise, to see what our actual consciousness is. First, 
thought and all the things the thought has made put together is part of our consciousness. The culture in which we live, the aesthetic values, the economic pressures, the national inheritance, If you are a surgeon, a carpenter, specialised in a particular profession, that group consciousness is part of your consciousness. Right? You understand all the, what we are saying? <coughs> are we making it difficult? We are not scholars, at least the speaker is not. We are dealing with human existence, with all its complexities. If you live in a particular country, with its particular tradition, with its religion, culture and so on, that particular form has become part of your consciousness, the group consciousness, right? The national consciousness, the particular professional consciousness. This is again of facts. If you are a carpenter, you have to have certain skill, understand the wood, the nature of the wood, the instrument, so you gradually belong to a group that has cultivated this special particular form and you and that has its own consciousness. Like the scientist, like the archaeologist, like the animals have their own particular Consciousness as a group, and so on, so on. That's part of your consciousness. Right? Please see the fact of this for yourself. If you are a housewife, you have your own particular consciousness. Like all the other housewives, that's a group consciousness. Permissiveness has spread throughout the world. It began in the West, far West, and has spread right through the world. That is a group conscious movement. Right? See the significance of it. Please understand, go into it for yourself, see what is involved in it. They are discovering scientifically that certain animals have been they are experimenting with certain animals 
say in England and say in Australia and those animals learn much quicker. They are because one set of animals like rats have learnt after twenty generations certain action and the twenty-fifth or twenty-eighth learn much more rapidly. And in Australia these rats have learnt much quicker without going through all the experiments. You understand all this? So it is not a genetic transformation, giving genetically evolving, but there is the group consciousness that is operating. You understand this? I hope you understand this. The Catholic consciousness Once group believes it in something, that begins to activate, live, spread. You understand? So our consciousness is not only a group, national, economic consciousness, a professional consciousness, but also much deeper consciousness, which is our fears. Man has lived with fear for generation after generation, with pleasure, with envy, with all the travail of loneliness, with depression, confusion. Watch it in yourself as we are talking. and with great sorrow, with, with what he calls love, and the everlasting fear of death. This is his consciousness. Not only the professional, the group, the national, but the rest of it, which is common to all mankind. Do you realise what it means? that you are no longer, please don't resist it, look at it, you are no longer an individual. It is very hard to accept, because we have been programmed, like the computer, to think we are individuals. We have been programmed religiously, to think that we have souls separate from all the others. And we, being programmed, our brain works in the same pattern, century after century. If one understands 
the nature of our consciousness, the particular endeavour, the me that suffers, that has become something global. Then it has a much greater, a totally different activity will take place. The second extract is from the fourth talk at Brockwood Park, 1977, titled Observing Consciousness. So we are going to examine together this question of consciousness and its content. In examination of this, it's very important to find out whether you are examining it or in observing, consciousness becomes aware of itself. You see the difference? I hope this is clear. That is, when you can observe the movement of your consciousness, which is your desires, your hurts, your ambitions, your greeds, your all the rest of it, which is our content of our consciousness, you can observe it from the outside, as it were, or whether consciousness becomes aware of itself. This is the problem. Whether you become aware of your consciousness, or please go into this with me a little bit, or you or consciousness is lighted up and you observe. This is only possible when you are when the when the thought realizes that what it has created, which is its consciousness, when thought realizes it is it is only observing itself, not you which thought has put together observing consciousness. I don't know how to... You understand this little bit? Look, sir, nobody has to tell you that you are hungry. There is hunger. In the same way, is it possible for thought to become aware of itself, for consciousness to be... to to be aware itself, not that you are examining consciousness. Is this somewhat clear or not? Because this is very important at the beginning of our examination. 
I want to examine consciousness. So in a, I begin to analyse the various aspects, various contents of my consciousness. I am greedy, I am angry, there is hatred, there is jealousy, there is happiness, there is pleasure, there is a great many hurts from childhood, flowering or controlled. I can examine them. Or there is observation and therefore consciousness begins to reveal itself. Do you see the difference? I observe the tree. The tree tells me all its story, if I know how to observe. So in the same way I must learn how to observe, observe only, not tell consciousness what it should do. Right? Are you making this somewhat clear? That is, if I want to examine consciousness, I separate myself from consciousness and then examine it as an analyst. Whereas, if there is only observation, only observation, then consciousness begins to reveal its content, its story. I don't have to tell the story about consciousness. Consciousness tells its story. Have you, this is simple. I won't elaborate that. So that's what we are doing. We are observing only. And so consciousness begins to show itself. Not only the superficial consciousness, but the deeper layers of consciousness, the whole content of consciousness. This is an art to be learnt, not memorised, not to say, well, I've heard this, I'm going to store it up in my brain and I'm going to learn about it. Then that's merely a mechanical process, which has no meaning whatsoever. Whereas if, if you see the importance of sheer, absolute, motionless observation, then the thing flowers, consciousness opens up its doors, as it were. So observation implies seeing total, the totality of consciousness. I wonder, if, am I talking to myself? I hope not. I can ha- one can have a dialogue with oneself. We did that the other day. I can have a dialogue about the whole question of meditation for my, with myself. But, but 
that's entirely different having a dialogue with each other. That's what we're doing. Though there are so many people here, we are actually having a dialogue. There is only one person here. And he or she and I are talking about this. I'm telling him or her, to observe is the most important thing in life. Not tell the observation how to observe, but to learn the art of observing without any distortion, without any motive, without any purpose, just to observe, in that there is tremendous beauty, because then there is no distortion. You see things clearly as they are. But if you have, if you make an abstraction of it into an idea, and then through that idea observe, then it's a distortion. Right? So, we are merely, freely, without any distorting factor entering into our observation, observing consciousness. So consciousness begins to reveal its, its, its own totality. There is nothing hidden. It is because the, the content which is our hurt, our greed, our envy, our happiness, our beliefs, our ideologies, all that is the, makes up consciousness. The past traditions, the present scientific or uh, factual traditions and so on, so on, so on. All that is our consciousness. To observe it without any movement, of thought, because thought has put all the content of our consciousness, thought has built it. When thought comes and says, this is right, this is wrong, this should be that, you are still within the field of consciousness, you are not going beyond it. So one has to go, one has to understand very clearly the, the place of thought, Thought has its own place in the field of knowledge, technology and all the rest of it. But thought has no place whatsoever in the psychological structure of man. When it does, then confusion begins, then contradiction, then all the struggles, the images about you and another. All the rest of it follows. So, the art, as we said, art, the meaning of art means to put everything in its right place. Not the painter, not the sculptor or the poet, but in our daily life, to put everything in its right place. That is, that's art. So, 
can, can you observe? Can you observe your consciousness? And does it reveal its content? Not, not bit by bit, but the totality of its movement. Then only is it possible to go beyond it. Not through analysis, which we talked about, because analysis implies the analyzer and the analyze, the division, the problem of time in division. And when you analyze, each analysis must be totally complete. If there is not complete analysis, then the imperfection of that analysis is carried over to the next analysis. So the imperfection grows more and more and more. You understand? Like practicing on the piano and practicing the wrong note all the time. Right? So that's that is our inquiry. And in inquiry, can you observe? without any movement of the eye. Because the eye, the eye, has effect on the brain. You can observe it for yourself. When you, when you keep your eyeballs completely still, observation becomes very clear, because the brain is quietened. You can experiment with this. This is not a trick for something further. It's like going to a guru and learning a few tricks. There is a lovely story, I must tell you about it. Young man goes to a guru, a teacher, and says, Please tell me what truth is. I've searched everywhere, nobody seems to be able to tell me, and I've come to you, please tell me what truth is. And the guru says, Stay with me, be with me. And so the, bo- the pupil, disciple, <coughs> stays with him for about fifteen years watching him, all, you know, all the rest of it. At the end of fifteen years he says, Good Lord, I have learnt nothing. And so goes to the Guru and says, I am so sorry, you have taught me nothing, you haven't, I haven't found truth, I am going to leave you and go to that Guru, the other one. And so after five years he comes back, he says, At last I have learnt. And the Guru says, What have you learnt? You see that river? I can walk across it. Without a boat, without anything, I can walk, tread on the water. And the Guru says, You can do that for tuppence if you take that little boat. (laughs) 
I think you should bear that story in mind when you approach any gurus. So, can you observe without any movement of thought, interfering with your observation? It is only possible when the observer realizes that which he is observing are one. The observer is the observed. Anger is not different from me. I am angry. I am jealousy. So there is no division between the observer and the observed. That is the basic reality one must capture. And to observe without the observer, just to observe, then you will see the whole of consciousness, the whole of it, begins to reveal itself without your making an effort. Which means, in that total observation, there is the emptying of going beyond all the things that thought has put together, which is our consciousness. The third extract is from the third talk in Bangalore, 1974, titled what happens to consciousness when one dies? What is my consciousness? All its content, whatever it thinks, its gods, its gurus, its books, its furniture, its house, its family, its name, all that is my consciousness. the gods which I have invented, the super-atman, the Brahman, the god, everything is within that field of the known. And the known is the me, the me that says, I am God, the me that says, I am not God, the me that rationalizes and worships the state, the me that is attached to the family, to the name, to the money, to, you know, no, I know all that. So the content of my consciousness is, is consciousness. They are indivisible. Remove the content, there is no consciousness as we know it. That is death. I wonder if you understand this. No, you don't. Look, sir, we may live a long years full of travail and sorrow and pain and pleasure. 
and fear. The body, the organism wears out through misuse, through disease, through constant conflict, inwardly. The good and the battle that goes on inwardly, the right and the wrong, the good and the bad. I am a Hindu, you are a Muslim, I am Christian, you are a Buddhist, division. The me, the we, and they, and you, conflict. Psychologically, inwardly, this conflict wears down the body constantly. And living in a polluted world as we are, the air is polluted, the sea is polluted, everything is polluted. Not only our minds, but the earth we are polluting, and the air. And the air that we breathe is destroying us. So there is disease, pollution, strife, inwardly and outwardly, waste down the body. Bad diet, overwork, overindulgence, all the rest of it. The organism must inevitably come to an end. We know that. That doesn't cause us so much fear. What causes fear is this losing consciousness as the known. I know myself. I know what I have achieved, what I have not achieved. I know my friends, my wife, my children, my, uh, my desires, my pleasures, my anxieties, my, the whole thing are so obvious, I know them. And that's my con that's the totality of my consciousness. Expand it, contract it, horizontally or vertically, it is still within the field of the known. All the movement of thought is in the field of the known. And the mind which has sought security in the known, please do listen for your life. The mind that has sought security in the known faces death. That is, it has to enter into something it doesn't know. Therefore it's frightened, not of the unknown, but losing the known. <coughs> You understand? Losing the me, losing my consciousness with all its contents, my gods, my knowledge, my wife, my children, my everything in that content of consciousness. The mind is scared, frightened, and is ready to believe that it will continue hereafter.
Now, can the mind die to the known, to its content, you understand, to my furniture, to my ambition, to my gods, to my gurus, to my can I can my mind die to all that? From day to day die. And you will see, if you so die to the known, fear comes to an end. Totally. Then there is the problem, if you don't die so completely to the content of the consciousness which is the known, then what happens to people who are not free of its content? You are, you've understood my question? Look, I'll put it in. Are you all interested in all this? Does it mean anything to you, all this? Verbally or actually? Are you going to die to the content of your consciousness, to your gurus, to your ambitions, to your private secret desires? You won't. You won't. That's part of your conditioning, part of your death. So what happens if you do not die to the, to the content of your consciousness? What happens? What is your consciousness? It's like everybody else's consciousness. It's the consciousness of your neighbour, who is also his gods, his thoughts, his desires, his attachment to his house. You follow? Your consciousness is the consciousness of another. You may not like it. You may think you are an extraordinary, extraordinary conscious. But you are just like your neighbour, though you have a different name, different face, different bank account, if you have a bank account, but you are just like your neighbour, who is anxious, frightened, worshipping his petty little gods, his little gurus, goes to the miracle mongers, all that, just like everybody else. Living, please listen to this, living you are like everybody else, with a little temperamental changes. You may be most proficient at your profession, and so is somebody else. But below that profession you are frightened, you are greedy, you are ambitious, you are uh, sexual, appetite, attached, like my neighbour, like everybody else, whether he lives in India, geographically, 
in China or in America. You have understood this? Your consciousness is the consciousness of your neighbour. So you are the world and the world is you. Now, what happens to that consciousness when it dies, when the physical organism dies? Knowing it is going to die, there's fear and you have the comforting hope of reincarnation. You have never inquired what it is that reincarnates, but there is that hope. When you inquire what it is that reincarnates, what is it? Your attachments, are they? Your contents of your consciousness, your gods, your the things that you have not done, the things that you should have done, your beliefs, your ideas, your opinions, your second-hand knowledge, all that. That is me, that is you, the Self. And if you, as you do believe in that, in reincarnation, as most of you do, it means that you will be incarnated next life differently, depending on your karma. Karma means to act. Now, cause, effect and all the rest of it. It's too long, I won't, I'll have to cut it short. Now, if you believe in reincarnation that what you do matters enormously now, because you're going to pay for it next life. Do you understand all this? That means if you don't behave properly this life, you're going to pay for it next life. Right? But you don't believe so strongly. That's just an idea. Therefore you carry on with your mischief. And you believe most earnestly, oh, reincarnation, karma, all the rest of that, tummy rot. Because what matters is how you behave now. That is the cause, the effect of it, not next life. In the flowering of goodness you incarnate now. Understand this, not next life. Incarnation means to be born anew. You can't be born anew next life, you have to be born anew this life, now. That is real incarnation, not reincarnation. Therefore, what happens to those who 
who have never died to the known, who are always clinging to the known. It's like a vast stream, isn't it, in which all human beings are caught. A stream from which my son, my brother, my wife, my husband, who have lived now are caught in the stream, and from that stream they can be evolved. They can be called. I can see my brother, my son, my wife, my husband, through a medium, through various other ways. But it's still the continuance of that consciousness with its content. Therefore, there is no release from that unless you die to the known every day. That means never be attached, which doesn't mean that you in the freedom from attachment there is no love. There is total love when you have not attached to ideas, to people, to buildings, to your job, nothing. You understand, sir? So love is as strong as death, and living is not separate from love and death. They are all one total movement. And human beings have divided it. And this, in this division there is conflict. Wherever there is division there is conflict. Nationally, when you are divided against Pakistan or Russia, whatever it is, there must be conflict. Arab and Jew, there must be conflict. And when you divide life, this life, the future life, love is something different, death is something different, all divided, then when there is division you live in constant pain, struggle and sorrow. A man who understands the total movement of life, that is living, love and death are one whole movement of existence. And that is the total meaning of life. The final extract this week is from the fourth talk in New York, 1974, titled The Emptying of Consciousness. Can the mind be free from all occupation? Which means, can the consciousness be empty of its content? And the emptying of that consciousness with its content is meditation. That is, emptying the attachment to your furniture, to your bank account, to your wife, to your husband, to your attachment. Not detachment, the understanding of attachment, 
then you are neither attached nor detached. You are something entirely different. Your content, as we explained in previous talks, is makes up your consciousness. And the content is always active, restless, chattering, acquiring, discarding. It is it is essentially the activity of self-centered thought. And meditation is the emptying of it. That means inquiring, looking, hearing, the voice of your own activity, the voice of your own intentions, ambitions, pursuits and all that, to observe it, to be choicelessly aware of the, of the content of your consciousness. Not try to control it, not try to shape it, because truth is not joyful or sad, neither good or bad, it's just truth. And when you understand what that means, then space has no direction, therefore no movement. And then the mind, without control, without following any system, without all the fears, then my, such a mind becomes completely, utterly still. And in this process you may have certain faculties as clairvoyance, as telepathy, do some kind of healing, some kind of magic, and now which is popular in this country, this question of exorcising the devil. A religious man, in the true sense of that word, a religious man who is concerned with the total gathering of one's energy, to, this, to come upon this total silence, a silence in which there is no noise of the me, and such a religious man is not concerned at all with all the tricks of healing, exercising, exorcising, doing some kind of magic. The speaker has been through all that, and don't touch it. For a religious man, for a man who is deeply concerned with truth, 
in daily life. And therefore, with, with the comprehension of this marvellous thing called meditation, which is great beauty and creation, will not go play with all those things, he has no time. And when you come upon that silence, when the mind and the body is still, not made still, that silence is not between two noises, between two thoughts, between two incidents, but it is a silence that is not being put together by thought. Therefore it has a, a totally different dimension. It's only such a mind that has gone through all this, that can understand or see that which is immeasurable, which is nameless, and that is not an experience. 